1: and welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Bill is away for today. This is Peter Kapsner filling in for this second hour and we're delighted to be joined at this time by Dr. Glenn Pickering to talk about relationships around the holiday table. If you listen regularly, you know Glenn joins us to talk about such things that help us in our relational life, our personal life. And Glenn, I think the way you described me introducing you was just simply amazing, right? That's
2: right. Absolutely. What else <laughs> is there? I, mean, <laughs> I
1: love it. Go to the basics. We're going to talk through quite a bit of strategies that we can employ at this holiday table, especially for those of us that might have some strain in some of our relationships or maybe just some nervousness, some anxiety heading to that table. Rosie, I know we can take some questions and comments from listeners as well. So maybe remind the listeners of how they can access uh, Glenn as part of the conversation here.
0: Well, absolutely. So you guys can, so listeners can, I can't see the number from where I'm standing. (laughs) They can text in 877-933. What's the rest of it, Peter?
1: 2484. Yeah, 877-933-2484. And Glenn actually, at his website as well, allows listeners to go onto the website for a free 20-minute consultation. And you know that I was saying during the break that I've signed up for that consultation (laughs) under five different avatars (laughs) right now. So So
0: if they go to drglennpickering.com, Glenn with two N's then they can access that, not only the show notes for today, but also for um, that free 20-minute consultation.
1: I love it. Well, Glenn, welcome to the show. And uh, just delighted to have some of your wisdom in this. Again, if you have a question or a comment, you can definitely text that in at 877-933-2484. Glenn, get us started. Uh, What do you mean in this sort of opening segment about becoming a scientist around the holiday table with family and friends?
2: Thank you. That's a great question. So um, here's what I think. A lot of times people say, well, Glenn... I'm going to go to Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, Hanukkah, it doesn't matter. And, you know, I'm a little worried, I'm a little nervous. What if, you know, Uncle John gets drunk again? What if Aunt Mary says one of those crazy things that she says? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if that one brother-in-law that can't stand shows up? Blah, blah, blah. And I always think there's two things wrong with that question. One, it's about what somebody else, two, might do. Mm. Neither of which I'm in charge of. So I always say to those people, instead of thinking, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? I want you to think to yourself, well, of course it will. Well, what if Uncle John drinks too much? Well, he always does, right? What if Aunt Mary says something weird? Well, she usually does, right? (laughs) Or what if everything doesn't go exactly as I have it planned? Well, of course it won't. So instead of worrying about what might happen or what somebody else might do, I want to focus on what I for sure can do. So... Here's what I mean. When people go into a situation and maybe they're a little nervous or maybe there's some conflict or maybe it's just uncomfortable for who knows what reason, they try and plan out ahead of time the conversation that they're going to have. But here's what I know. That conversation you think you're going to have with that person or that group, by the second sentence into that conversation, is not going the way you had it in your head. Because life is ad lib. You're going to forget your lines. They're going to have different lines than you think they are. And so it's not going to go the way you thought. So, planning those words out is not helpful. So, when Jesus said, you know, the Spirit will give you the words, don't worry about that, I think that makes a lot of sense. Because if we try and plan that out, it never works. But what we can plan out is we can plan out the person that we want to be. I can have a vision of the person I want to be at that event. And I can ask God with all powerful prayer to ask me to be that person. So, for example, I can think, and I I talk to my clients about this all the time, if you're just going to assume, of course, things will happen, the only question is, who are you going to be? Not even what you were going to do. Who are you going to be? I want to be really clear about that. When the proverb says, without a vision that people shall perish, I think, yeah, they're talking about the congregation, but it's just as true about us individually. We just need to have a vision for who we want to be in pretty much any given situation. So that's why I said one of my possibilities, I can decide... I'm going to go to my family and be the scientist. I'm just going to sort of take a step back. Instead of getting too caught up in the conversation, I'm just going to notice what happens. Take a step back, just pay attention. And here's the interesting thing that always then happens whenever me or any of my clients do this. We start learning or seeing differently how things actually unfold. Because, see, if I'm caught up in the drama or the trauma or the anxiety or the control of who knows what, I don't actually see what's happening very clearly because I'm in it. It is super helpful to just be able to take a step back and think, you know, God, just help me take that step back. Help me be sort of a calm observer who just sort of notices the patterns that seem to happen there. That is super helpful because once I get what the pattern looks like, I can think about what I want to do about it. But as long as I'm caught up in the pattern, all I'm ever going to do is just repeat my part of it over and over again. So it's important when clients think, "Okay, I'm going to go in as a scientist." I want them to think, "Yeah, not to judge anybody else. That judgment is not helpful." The scriptures say we're not supposed to judge. They're not kidding. So I just want to go in as the observer. Oh, this is what happens, and then somebody says this, and then this person always gets all defensive, and then this person steps in for them, and then chaos ensues. Oh, that's interesting. To <laughs> literally just watch the pattern. But for this reason especially, and to notice especially, and what is the part that I used to play? So that's for I me. Mean. We're not going to like to judge anybody else or take anybody else's inventory. It's just I want to understand the pattern, and I want to see then in that process what part I used to play. Because once I get that, then when Jesus says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? You don't see the log in your own eye. We start to get a better sense of what that log might look like. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I think that's so helpful, Glenn, because I know that sometimes in the situations in which I'm feeling a bit of anxiety relationally or, or nervous... I- I walk in sometimes unwittingly almost with a slow propane leak know, yeah,
2: that, that just, and then there's right. going to be
1: a match that just yep. somehow ignites it and yep. it explodes. But you're talking about somehow developing the discipline of standing back a little bit dispassionately, not unengaged. You're not talking right. about disengaging, right? right? Exactly. You're just talking right. about dispassionately being right. able to step back and say, let me just observe this for a little bit without necessarily having the slow leak that's present right, that could exactly. just explode.
2: Right. Because as soon as I do that, I'm going to think, oh, this is where I would have stepped in or this is where I would have said something. Or this is the kind of topic where I would have gotten all defensive. Or this is where I would have thought I need to fix somebody or rescue somebody. Oh, okay. And I can even feel in me that temptation even in that moment to want to do that. And that's just my sign. Oh, that's how I kept that odd little interaction going. That Mm -hmm. was my part of that.
1: Can you still talk in the midst of this as you're stepping back? Like, how do you engage then? Are you sort of mindful of that? I am going to continue to engage, but I'm just not going to let that place explode.
2: Right. And I think for me, it comes down to this. Sometimes if I try to talk to people about that, they think, well, Glenn, you used to be an electrical engineer, so that's easy for you to be the scientist. But I, think, I don't mean it like that. I don't mean like I don't care or like I'm not even in the room really. I mean, how can I say? I just think it's my human ego self that gets kind of caught up in the transaction. But see, my spirit, and I, and I only see that little bit of what's happening. But see, my spirit sees everything. And so if I'm almost watching it more from that sort of spirit perspective, what is my best self, my purest self? noticing, Mm. I will see that whole interaction in a way that my little human ego, caught up in the transaction self, can't really see because I'm too caught up in the weeds to actually be able to see the forest all around me.
1: Hmm. Do you have some examples of this where you've been able to to put this strategy in play where you sort of step back however much a little bit and and maybe just watch the fabric of that relationship change a little bit? Because undoubtedly the other Uh person probably is coming with a bit of a slow leak as well. Does that change some things in the midst of it?
2: It is so interesting to me how often that does happen. Now, I always want to caution my clients a little. We're not going in this to control somebody else. We're going in this so you can change the way you interact with people. Mm. So this is not about manipulating anybody else. But if I do go in just thinking, I just want to notice and start shifting how I do things, it will almost invariably have a shift on how the whole rest of that conversation goes because I'm not doing my part that kept that thing going. And so almost always then it will shift the conversation, not because I'm trying to, but just because I'm just trying to pay attention so I understand what usually happens.
1: That's interesting. And so you do sometimes even notice that almost the entire day can change, I'm guessing. Yes, and I, right. I assume even the first 15 minutes of what right. you're describing is maybe the most critical 15 minutes of that initial engagement right. with somebody right. to set the tone of how the day may go.
2: Absolutely. So even if um, in the past maybe we'd, I'd walk into a room and I'd be thinking, oh, there's some people here that don't like each other. There's a little conflict here, blah, blah, blah. I'm. I'm going to walk in that room thinking, you know what? First of all, I'm going to hug everybody in that room. Let them know how happy I am to see them. So I'm focused on them, and I'm going to start that way. And we're going to talk about that more in a minute. But it's just another way. I can just choose who do I want to be when I enter that room, and if I'm going to be that person who steps back, I'm the person who instead of reacting instantly, just slows down enough to make sure I see what's happening so I'm actually choosing my response. So it's not that I don't respond. I respond from that place where I'm sort of seeing how that interaction is unfolding and thinking, how can I do my part differently?
1: Mm, that's super helpful. We're chatting with Glenn Pickering today about the relationships around the forthcoming holiday table for many of us. If you want to text in a question for Glenn, something specific about your own holiday table, you can definitely do that at 877 933 Two, four, eight, four. When we come back from a short break, we're going to get into what Glenn just referenced, and that is how we can become a loving person and even a disarmingly loving person to sort of set the ethos of the day around the holiday table. Welcome back to the show. This is Peter Kapsner filling in for Bill Arnold today. We're enjoying our chat with Dr. Glenn Pickering around about relationships around the holiday table. Glenn, we got a listener question coming in. Pretty astute one here, as usual from the Faith Radio listeners. This one is your description, Glenn, of holding back, being sort of dispassionate, and, and watching how it all unfolds. How does that compare to being led by the Holy Spirit?
2: It's interesting. See, that is a great question. And I think, see, that's actually the only way I can be led by the Holy Spirit. See, if I get caught up in the action, my little human ego gets kicked in, and I just start doing the things I always do. I'm literally not open to the Spirit. I'm not even asking the Spirit. Mm. There's no opening there. But if I just slow down long enough to just notice, oh, that person just said a thing I used to get all defensive about. Huh. And you're going to watch my eyes go up and to the left just for a couple of seconds where me and God are praying about how I could answer that differently if I'm trying to be different, and I'm going to come back in the room and say something different. So it's only by slowing down like that that I give myself, a chance to be open to what the Spirit's trying to put on my heart. So for me, it's totally consistent. In fact, that's the only way to do it, as nearly as I can tell. Hmm. i got to slow down long enough so that I'm open to what the Spirit would put on my heart.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and I would think uh, disrupting some of the patterns that maybe we're into and some of the tension by just having somebody step back like that, that's one of the ways that that we can disrupt those patterns to create space for something new. But another way that I think is really intriguing Mm -hmm. is just the disarming nature of some genuine act of love or affection towards another individual, especially if maybe they don't expect it.
2: Right. Yep. So secondly, besides being sort of that scientist who's just trying to really be quiet and let God put words in my heart when it's time, I can also come in, I can... Remember, because I said, we can't choose our words ahead of time because it's never going to go like that. But I can choose who I want to be, and I can ask God. I can just ask God to keep bringing me back to that picture. Even if I slip off, I'm just going to ask God to bring me back to that picture. And the second one, besides being a scientist, is to just think, I'm just going to stay in the loving present. Now, when I'm the prosecuting attorney and I come in thinking, oh, what if Uncle John starts drinking? What if Uncle Jane says that thing she always says? See, I'm literally waiting for them to do it wrong.
1: And you can't be present almost anything else until that moment happens, right? I
2: literally don't notice anything else until they do that. And then I think, (laughs) see, I knew it. And if you ask me, hey, Glenn, what happened in the few minutes leading up to that? You're going to get a blank look on my face because I didn't actually take it in. Mm. I literally wasn't present. Or I can actually come in thinking, I'm going to be in the loving present. So I'm going to greet people when I come in. And I'm going to remember, I love these people. These people matter to me. They're as present precious child of our God, and I would want them to know that I know that, because unless somebody tells us, we don't actually know, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It's being treated like that that helps us believe that that could possibly be true, so...
1: Well, and you have a phrase here that says looking for the 90%. And I would think if you enter the room with that idea, that reminder that says, and and I appreciate what you said early in this hour, we said, of course, this is going to happen with Uncle Joe. Of course, you you sort of reset your own expectations. It helps to sort of take the starch out of that worry. But then on the flip side of it, you can maybe start looking for the 90% of things that are legitimately good about this other individual. It's almost a reminder of, oh, I actually do like these people.
2: Exactly. Because I just think, um, yeah, I... I talk a lot about what I call the 90-10 rule, which is actually based directly on Philippians 4.8, where it says, you know, whatever is good, wonderful, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise. Think about these things. And so every person in that room is important to me in one way or another. Every person in that room has gifts. Every person in that room has some things about them that I admire, and I want to be really focused before I ever come in the room on the fact that that's
1: true. Now, I I can just imagine, Glenn, that there might be two family members listening to this same show right now, and they're having to apply this to to one another. But in in fairness, I think some of it is helpful to just recognize that, hey, you know, I've got 10% of junk in my own life for sure. And so I hope that somebody else is going to look at the 90% that I'm bringing.
2: Right. And I think, and if we can set that ethos as somebody who uses that word all the time, I guess. Um, (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about, Glenn.
1: (laughs) That would be my new cliche. I like, I'm going to keep using it. Like, you can steal that word from me. I, I appreciate that. I'm I'll sure I stole it somewhere else. I'll give you credit.
2: All right. So, um, so yes, um, I, I want to come in the room thinking about the 90%, about what's good about them, what I love about them. And part of being in the present then is that frees me up to pay attention to what's actually happening. Now, partly here's what I mean. Mm. Well, here's how I always think about it. Back when I was taking one of my doctoral counseling classes, um, The professor said, okay, what do you guys think is the most important characteristic of a a counselor? And people say their experience, their expertise, their wisdom, blah, blah, blah. And the professor said, nope, the most important attribute you can have is your ignorance. And they Mm. looked at me and he said, Glenn, that's why I think you're going to be so good at this. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Thompson. So um, anyway, but here's the point. If I greet somebody and I say, hey, how's it going? And they say, oh, okay. And I say, oh, uh hi, I know what you mean. See, that conversation just ended and I don't know what they mean. But if I assume I don't, and you know, I assume ignorance, and they say, well, okay, I guess, and I'm really doing, like, I'm really actually present, I say, oh, how come I'm only okay? Mm. Well, what's going on exactly? Well, how come? Well, what's happening? Instead of thinking, oh, I know what you mean, which I most certainly do not. But see, if I'm nervous, I just say dumb things like that without thinking, oh, I know. Anyway, instead of just slowing down a lot huh, or if they say, oh, it's going great, I think, oh, great, tell me one thing that's great. If I'm not assuming that I know what that means, then I'm just going to ask some really simple follow-up question based on the fact that I don't know what that means, and mm. suddenly we're having an interesting conversation, and all my worry about what Uncle Mary might do or Uncle John is not there, and I'm just focused on the person, person right in front of me who might actually be Uncle John.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and as you're, you're talking about this, it, it seems the invitation into this is that one of the signs, perhaps, of a relational or a spiritual maturity is an authentic humility, a recognition right. that in the, in the craziness that is the communication process, right, yes. where we're trying to use these little characters and wind them together in different kind of forms and symbols <laughs> right. to, to talk with one another, that we're probably going to miss it from time to time.
2: Oh, my gosh. My wife and I laugh about this all the time. We teach communication classes. We've been doing seminars. We've been married for all these years, and we still get it wrong so much many times we just laugh hysterically about how true that is so if it happens with this person that you literally know inside out how often is it going to happen with everybody else a lot of the time
1: yeah so. i love that well and glenn even going into these kinds of conversations what role does gossip or lack thereof play in terms of spinning perceptions of one another because i think about if i go to my friends the 48 hours the 72 mm-hmm. hours before a holiday dinner and i tell them all about Uncle Joe, to use the person right. that you're, yes. you're, you're referencing. Right. And and then I sort of almost whip myself up into a perception right. of Uncle Joe. And I now I can't even see him anymore because I I've know. gone sideways with this right. for so many hours. Maybe understandably so. We're looking for some wisdom and insight. But sometimes, or maybe oftentimes, that just flips into a gossip thing. And then I can't be present in the ways you're describing. Right.
2: I, get, I think that's so true. And so I call that game team tag when me and you agree somebody else is the bad one. <laughs> um, right. Right. And, um, and I just think... If somebody invites me to play team tag with them, I don't want to do that because it's what I would call a form of false intimacy. Like we're talking about intimate details, but it's about Mm. somebody else's life, not mine or yours. Yeah. So we're going to walk away not knowing anything more about each other than we did at the beginning of the conversation. That's why it's false intimacy. It looks intimate, but we don't learn anything about each other. Yeah, I love that. So anytime somebody sort of starts that game with me, I do one of two things. I'm going to either ask a question or I'm going to make a statement about myself. So. Oh, Uncle Joel did blah, 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 blah. Oh, boy, that would be hard. How do you want to handle that when we see him? What do you think is a good way? Or I'm going to say, you know, I've made a mistake a lot like that myself. I kind of can see how he gets himself into that problem. So I'm going to ask them a question. I'm going to make a statement about myself. Because now we're having a conversation about the two people who are actually in the room.
1: I love it. We're chatting with relational expert Glenn Pickering here on this Monday afternoon. If you have a question for Glenn, something about relationships at your own holiday table, we'd love to have you text in at 877 933 Aid for Glenn, maybe another strategy and you talk about this and in, in some of what you write is uh, not just thinking good things about people beforehand or creating space and having humility, right. but actually verbalizing these things right. to people. I'm so guilty right. of this where I think good things about people right. and then I wonder why they wonder what I think about them because I never say them at the end of the day. And so this is actually saying out loud right. the things that we think and maybe some words of gratitude.
2: Yes. And I, I think this to myself all the time. The fact that my, I love my wife, Gwen, doesn't actually change her life. The fact that I love her and she can tell changes her life. Mm. So unless I had that care for her and she knows it.
1: Yeah, you need to say that again. Hang on just a minute. How did you say that? Because, Ro- Rosie, both of our heads just exploded right there.
2: Well, darn good then. I, I decided I'm going to be more like Jesus. They'll be real cryptic, leaf tone.
1: <laughs> I love, but, I, but I think you said that, that your wife, Gwen. Um, right.
2: Yeah, I always, I always think to myself, if I love my wife, Gwen, but she can't tell, it doesn't change her life any. But if I love her and she can tell, say that it changes her life completely. I love that. No, it's the same about a faith walk. I didn't, became, I didn't become a Christian the instant God loved me. God loved me all along. Hmm. The instant I got that God loved me, my life changes. So until somebody loves us and we know it, nothing happens. Which is why if I think something great about the person at the party, I'm coming in 90-10 and think of what's good about people and I don't say it to them, it's pretty much as if I didn't feel it.
1: And I'm guessing you see quite a bit of deficit in people's own lives or just having words of gratitude spoken to right. them. So it, it must honestly, just be like a balm to the soul.
2: It so is for all of us. And honestly, here's the really cool thing. If somebody says, hey, Glenn, it's good to see you. I always love it. You always bring so much blah, 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 blah to the party. A, that's a nice compliment. B, I might not even know that about myself. We don't actually know what we're good at because the things we're good at, we take for granted because they always come so easy for us, so we think everybody's good at that. Until somebody tells me, he goes, that's a real gift of yours, I don't know. So I can not only lift them up and make them feel happy, I might actually tell them something about what their gifts are that they might not even realize. Mm.
1: Uh, how... For people that live with maybe a bit of of self-esteem issues or insecurity in the relationships, um, I I have heard that it takes maybe five or six or even up to 10 positive words to combat that negative word. Do you see some of that in your practice? Why do do we tend to live in that 10% or in the negative more so than the 90%?
2: It's easy to believe the 10. And I'll talk about that more in just a minute. But here's what's also important. I tell people it's important not just to give compliments to people who you care about. It's important to receive them. Hmm. And so if somebody gives me a compliment, if I'm not careful, my response is to blow it off, move on, dismiss it. I ask people like, with great intensity, when somebody so give other people compliments, yes. When somebody gives you a compliment, I want you to stop, look them in the eye and say, thank you. It's so cool to hear that. So you actually take it in, because the reason it takes ten great words and one bad word is we don't take the ten in. We don't, t- we don't stop to actually think, "Wow, that's so nice." I used to have at my seminar for couples this little exercise when people come up to each other in the group and say, um, "You're perfect. You're precious in God's sight and perfect in His name," and the response is, "Thank you for noticing." Not blow it off not just take it in, think, yeah, wow, that's nice. So it's just as important to be a gracious receiver and to be prepared to receive those compliments as it is to be that giver of those compliments. I mm-hmm.
1: love it. Rosie, I think during the break, we're going to practice this, Glenn and me. Why don't you take uh, just a round at giving us compliments and we'll just make sure we pause <laughs> and take them in okay. just one after another. It will it. be this easy
0: to come up with them, however... Yeah, that's, there might be a couple other slide things, slide it. some other things in there.
1: And Glenn, we're going to step away for just a minute here. Again, if you're listening uh, today and we have a question for Glenn, you can text it in at 877-933-2484. And when we come back in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to ask Glenn about how we can forgive people and enter into their actual struggles as well. Is going to be for dinner at the holiday table this Thursday. <laughs> is, is, there, know, yeah, is there something specific at that table that you're looking forward to? Yeah, dressing. That's what I asked for. We'll yeah. see if I get it. You know, dressing is a thing, it seems like we should have it more than once a year. Every I time I'm so at that too. Thanksgiving Day table, I'm like, why only today? That's right.
0: And why do Minnesotans call it dressing? Well, what do you, call, so do you call so it? You call stuffing. Stuffing. Oh, stuffing! But I'm from Illinois. I used
2: to call that. we uh, oh. used to say that too. But Did you? Now I've adapted all the crazy people who live here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, Rosie, just uh, during the break there, we were talking a little bit about where we have been with Glenn Pickering in this conversation about relationships mm-hmm. and the holiday table, and talking about words of encouragement and and just offering those to other people, receiving them ourselves. But you've been doing a pretty interesting study from the book Book of Philippians on that,
0: right? So, and, and just we just started, my husband and I. Uh, this weekend. And we're only in verse one through six. And it really, the Bible study pulls out who Philippian, who the people of Philippi were for Paul. And then it lands that question, who are you for the people in your life? Are you loving? Are you encouraging? Are you giving of your resources as well as your time even when things are difficult, because obviously Paul was in bad spaces, <laughs> and they still pray. stuck with yeah, him, right? right? And so, just Glenn, as you were talking about that, I thought the words of encouragement right. are so necessary, oh, even gosh, if it's yes. not your love language. Right. That doesn't give you an out no. because you know we all operate in all five love languages. It's you know we might have one above the other, but to encourage somebody is is so important.
2: I think it's right. When I um, first started doing ministry, I had a senior pastor who I really admired. And about a month into it, you know, I came out of engineering school before I went to seminary. So I oh, went to church working as associate pastor doing youth work in my first year in seminary. And uh, um senior pastor, after I'd been there for a while, said, well, Glenn, how's it going? And I said, God, I love being at this church. I love these people. I love the ministry. Um, but, you know, I'm an engineer. I can remember people's telephone numbers from when I was three, but I'm really struggling to remember people's names. And he thought for a minute, and he nodded, and he said, well then you're going to have to get better at that, <laughs> which I thought was so perfect. No judgment. There's no condemnation in Christ, but there's also a clear sense of yes and. Right. And you need to get better at that. Yeah. And so to people who say, Glenn, I'm not very good at encouraging. I think I believe you. I'm not arguing with there. And it will be helpful if you get better at that.
1: Yeah, indeed. And encouraging can be something that oh is, is truly learned uh, like right. just about any other skill. I think... Right it also invites us into something that uh, can be even more difficult. And this isn't maybe necessarily a learned thing as much as you you need some grace from a different kind of source. And that's when you're sitting at the table now and there's going to be some kind of unforgiven sin. And I I can just imagine, as I'm sure you can, that there's probably a lot of gatherings where something has happened. Some relational fracture, some actual sinful behavior has brought wounding. It has been unrepented of, it's been unforgiven. How in the world, Glenn, do you begin to sit down at that holiday table?
2: Well, I think two things about that. Um, So I'm going to start sort of general and then get more specific. One, it's important to remember their struggles are their struggles. Partly we get hurt because we take their struggles personally. Like, how could you have said that about me? How could you have done that by when I was there? How could you have, instead of thinking, oh, I get it, that's kind of what you do. How could you have been so sarcastic with me? Oh, when I take my own little ego out of it, what I see is you're kind of sarcastic with everybody. Okay. So... A lot of wounding happens because I take other people's stuff personally. Mm. And part of the recovery from that, part of the healing from that is to realize, oh, your behavior is not about me. Your stuff's your stuff. I got my own stuff, but (laughs) my stuff is my stuff. So part of it is to be able to step back just enough to think, okay, that's how they operate. I don't need to ask myself, why, how could you have done that to me? To a person who acts like that to pretty much everybody, everywhere they go. That's just me getting hurt in a place where I don't actually need to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Second, I also think we have compassion to the extent that we can see that people have struggles similar to ours. And especially if you're at that family table, what are the odds that you have a lot of the same struggles that people on that table do? You are genetically and or environmentally related to every person at that table probably in one way or another. So you probably have very similar struggles. So... I might ask at my family table somebody a question. I might get sort of a short, terse kind of answer. And I can be frustrated with that, except, you know, I'm autistic. (laughs) Hmm. I tend to speak in short summary sentences. (laughs) So (laughs) I could get all irritated with them that they do that. Or I could think, I get that. I kind of wish you would say a little bit more. So it's not like I try to pretend that's not true. But I also think, yeah, but I get that. Hmm. I I can understand it. We have a very similar struggle. Hmm. So part of forgiveness is to think, oh... Just like when Paul says, I think Romans twelve two about, you know, why do you judge your brother when you yourself have probably probably committed many of the same sins? It's like we're standing in judgment as somebody who we perhaps have done something an awfully lot like that, and maybe it's a lack of forgiving our own self that's keeping us from forgiving them. Mm. And, Go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, so even if there is a situation where somebody has uh, committed a grievance against you, that maybe you can't experience the fullness of sort of that shalom or the peace that you want, but in in moving in compassion towards that, even if it remains unrepented, it can take some of that energy out of it, perhaps.
2: Exactly. I can still see them for who they are. I can still see the rest of them, and I can remind myself, I have my own struggles, and I might not have hurt somebody in exactly that way, but I've been hurtful to other people. Mm. and. It's just true. So why would I forgive them? Well, because I also stand in need of that same forgiveness. And I would ask for that from my own self.
1: Yeah, we got a question from a listener here, Glenn, yeah. and this is, this is a tough one. And and maybe this would be an invitation as well to go to your website where they can uh, avail themselves of the free 20-minute consultation, because it might be more than what we can handle on air. But I have a suspicion a lot of people find themselves in a place similar to this. Uh, the listener writes, my wife recently shared, she does not love me anymore after 37 years together. Her reason is politics. We do not see the world the same way. I see it as a difference. She has let politics become her religion and and then goes from there. How do I deal with this as a devoted Christian husband when after 37 years, this is now part of the reality in which they're walking?
2: Um, To be honest, that's a hard one. I see that one playing out in a lot of families who are divided in ways that even a few years ago I think didn't really happen to that extreme level. And this is why I just try with all my might to keep coming back to the ninety ten rule for my own self. I think even if there's something on which you and I fiercely disagree, there are probably 88% of other things that we agree about or that we could talk about or that we both do care about or that we could line up about. And I'm going to see if there's some way we can connect on that level instead of insisting on focusing on the one thing we disagree on. Because we're different people. We're going to disagree about some things. I mean, that's just a given. So I think... When Jesus said that the goal of marriage is that the two shall become as one, didn't mean we become clones of each other. It means by the end of our life together, we should be able to look at that other one and think, I get you almost as well as I get my own self, that, that deep understanding. And so if we argue with each other like we're trying to persuade them, that never works. But if we listen to each other like we're trying to understand them, and I would ask for both people on both sides that have that same attitude, my goal here is to understand you, not to convince you that I'm right. We got a chance at a great conversation.
1: Yeah, for those that are listening right now and find themselves in a similar really difficult kind of situation, please, again, you can go to drglennpickering.com and request a free consultation there as well. And and Dr. Glenn can help you a a bit walk through some of those things. Glenn, related to that and when we experience these differences at the table, and let's just use politics as an example, we seem to be all relatively divided about that topic as a country, (laughs) as families, as people, and all of that. There's, again, we've used the word disarming a couple times today. Uh, that we it can be disarming to simply agree with somebody else's position, some place where you can authentically agree okay. with them when otherwise it's just going to be heated back and forth. But when somebody says, well, hang on, that's actually a really interesting point right. from their perspective, that can right. also take some of that energy out.
2: Right. I, I see this all the time. So that's going to sound a little off topic, but I promise it's related. Couples will say, well, when we argue about everything and they'll say, for example, I came home last night and I said to my wife, I would really like to go out to eat somewhere. And she said, I've been in the car all day, I've been sick of driving around. Now that's going to sound like an argument. And they're going to argue back and forth instead of thinking, oh, so if we went out to a restaurant that was close to our house, we'd both be happy, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just think it's the same with political, politics, Christianity doesn't matter. We can focus, just like the Bible tells us not to, on little details that we disagree about and wreck our whole faith. Mm. But we can really, really focus on that 92% of everything we all think, yep, that makes sense. This is true to me. I can affirm that about you. This is the place where we agree, and we could build forward from that. And we have to be really tempted, really, how can I say See, we're supposed to focus on the 90%, like it says in Philippians 4, eight. But the world says, no, 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 the 10% is the part that really matters. That's the part that really proves you're not good enough. And we have to understand, to let ourselves get pulled into that conversation, where we're only seeing the 10% of that person, what we disagree, what we don't like about them, we literally have just left the godly path, like behind us.
1: Yeah, that's really helpful. Glenn, we got another question for okay. you. It says, question for Glenn, is it true that the thing that irritates us about another person is often, uh, at times, our own weakness. And Rosie, as you might imagine, I don't get irritated by anything, clearly, because there's no (laughs) weaknesses. Glenn, is this true? I think we better just move on from that part. I mean, it is interesting, right, where we maybe notice our own weaknesses and suddenly it just really irritates us when we see it in somebody else.
2: Yes, it's a very, very high probability that if there's somebody and I meet them and pretty much right away they bug me, it's that they have the same issue that I have that I've not yet resolved. And because it's unresolved in me, then I get triggered by them. If I've had that issue but moved through it and resolved it, I'm, I'm going to, be to see them compassionately, like, oh, you're on the similar road the one I was on. But if I had that similar issue and I haven't resolved it yet, then I'm going to be really harsh with them almost every time.
1: Yeah, I've heard it said that we minister from those places of those deep weaknesses in yeah. which we've locked through ourselves. And, and, right. and I think it's such an invitation to to be an actual Christ-like person is to be real about your own weaknesses right, and be willingly and humbly walking through them. Yeah,
2: for sure. I think that's right, because otherwise we don't have anything to offer to people. Yeah. Hey, I don't have any problems like you do, but I want to give you advice. So... <laughs>
1: <laughs> that doesn't go terribly well, yeah, does it? Yeah,
2: it does not go too well, no.
1: Yeah, indeed. And talking with Glenn Pickering here about the holiday table, uh, again, you can text in your questions at 877 933 24 8 4. Again, we're going to step away here. We've got one segment left, and we're talking about creating a strong team in that segment about what it means to move from some of these places where it might be difficult between us, where we have a, a, a bit of fracture and tension, but there is also hope in this, too. And, and I'm sure you have, as many people have probably had experienced, families that do start coming back together, friendships and relationships that do start coming back together. So we want to get your advice on that here next on Afternoons right. with Bill. This is Peter Kapsner filling in for today. the new day, glenn pickering this is apparently your song i didn't know that you had a you song but this is it that's right everybody should know that i love it (laughs) well we're talking with glenn pickering here about relationships and around the holiday table if you've missed any part of afternoons with bill today you can head to the app and download the app my faith radio app and listen to it uh, on the podcast you can also stream it live that's how i tend to listen rosie i know is it's a it's a very uh, reliable way to get the stream coming through so i usually have it on my phone and you're saying like me sometimes it's active on my phone I don't don't even know it's active on my phone, and suddenly Carmen LeBurge is streaming (laughs) through my phone in my pocket, and I'm wondering what's happening here. Exactly,
0: and we're just spreading the gospel, because the the app just comes (laughs) up.
1: doing its own thing.
0: I just love the app, because it's consistent. It is. And if I have 20 minutes, I can just, there's always great teaching on Faith Radio. Right. And so I can just get a few minutes of knowledge and wisdom just poured into me. It starts, restarts my next hour. It's great.
1: Yeah. i will get a lot of wisdom from Dr. Glenn Pickering this afternoon as well. You can go to drglennpickering.com and, and see a bit of the recap of what we're talking about here in terms of some strategies to handle the holiday table well as a Christlike individual and also the opportunity to request a free consultation. And Glenn, we've talked about some of the hard things that are going to be part of of the holiday table, but for the people that are willing to walk in those hard things, and sometimes it can take days, sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's years, but when but you, we you stay with these things that are part of kingdom life, a lot of times there does get to be some hope. There does get to be right. some strength that grows. There's some change. There's some healing. This stuff is all possible. Even if it's a slow road, it can begin to happen.
2: Right, and here's how come, because all of us want that. So, um, hmm, how can I say If I invite everybody I meet into a right relationship with me, 94% of the people will come. And it's not because I'm so charismatic, because we all know I'm not. It's that um, we all want to be in a right relationship with each other. We want that so bad. I mean, it is literally carved into our soul to want to be connected to God and to other people. Mm. But a lot of times we just don't know how to do it. So if somebody gives us a chance to do that... We're very likely to respond positively, especially like you say, over time, if they do it consistently, because we actually want to be more connected to each other and to God We have this deep need for that. So I don't have to make people want that. I just have to give them a chance to do it.
1: Is there some part of the strategy, too, that you acknowledge that maybe you're feeling isolated? And and we live in such an isolating time, right? The hyper individualism that is our country in which we're encouraged to go do your own thing, find your own way, chart your own you. All of that, it has led, at least as I've seen among families, especially the young people that I'm with, to this epidemic of anxiety born from isolation. And so I think to just say out loud, hey, I actually feel kind of lonely from time to time, that that's another place of just humbling yourself a little bit that then maybe is invitational to everybody else to kind of enter that same kind of, uh, of conversation. Right.
2: The more we're able to just be our authentic self, the more it enables the people around us to do the same. So if I'm with a group of 10 people and I say, you know, I like my life pretty much, but there are times when I feel really lonely. There's a darn good chance that one or two or three other people at the table are going to say, oh, you know what, I struggle with that too. And we're going to suddenly have a really, really important conversation about that, which if I haven't said that out loud would never have occurred.
1: Yeah, so many of the things that you're talking about, Glenn, is somebody's willingness to go first somehow, whether it's in a compliment and an encouragement and maybe just sort of stepping back and thinking, hmm, we're forgiving. The, the importance of, of setting that standard in the conversation of a willingness to go first, I think I often find myself within the posture of saying, as soon as that person starts acting a bit mature, then maybe I'll grow up too, but not until then. And know, we're right. talking about something different here.
2: Right. No, I think this is really great because all the stuff I'm talking about today really does come under the heading of how to take the initiative instead of reacting. That's why I started off saying, hey, what if Uncle Mary John does this? What if Uncle Mary does that? Like, huh? It's like, no, they just put you in a total reactive mode. I want people to go into the vision and the plan of who they're going to be. So it's a proactive mode, because you're right. Then instead of waiting or reacting, I'm actually being proactive. And um which, of course, means we have to step out of our comfort zone. But we literally can't be on a godly path if we're not willing to do that. So,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked uh, just in the last segment about forgiveness a little bit. Another listener question comes in, another tough one here. Glenn, is not just necessarily forgiving somebody else, but it says, how does a per- person forgive themselves for something that maybe they did 25, 30 years ago or whenever it was, and it was really devastating somehow to a relationship. Right. Here's the cool
2: thing. We actually can't forgive ourselves. The great thing is, we can accept forgiveness. So, in my quiet times, when I slow all the way down and I can just feel God's gentle presence around me, then I know I'm forgiven. But until then, see, it's just an idea. It's not a reality. But when I'm surrounded by that love, that God who just thinks, Glenn, I adore you as you are, see, then I realize, oh, I don't need to be forgiven. I already am. That's already done. It's just my job to accept it. Like so the prodigal son, he's coming home, he's got this big speech memorized in his head about how he's gonna say all these things so his dad to kinda of make his dad forgive him. But the thing I see his dad already done. That's already done. All he has to do is come home and accept that forgiveness. That's where it starts. So it doesn't start by us being forgiving ourselves, it starts with us being open to the forgiveness that is always being offered to us.
1: Hmm. that's really helpful glenn i think sometimes that uh, i i wish for holy amnesia as part of forgiveness but we never don't we don't get to forget right but somehow god is able to do something sometimes miraculously almost in in the moment but sometimes just over time there gets to be a breaking of that power of the past on behalf of a freer and open future this is forgiveness is not forgetting it just means that that power is is, has less of a hold on us into the future right
2: i just my deciding i don't want to get stuck there anymore i'm tired of that
1: yeah, I love that. Uh, Glenn, you talk about some just real practical things, too, in terms of doing some things where there's some commonality, some affinity right. as you're rebuilding life together, right. taking a walk. I You have down on this list actually taking a nap. I'll tell you what, when the, when the turkey's done and the football game's <laughs> on and I, I want to care about the football game, but uh, I don't really care about the football game, right. just being in the room with three other people where you all fall asleep, there's something about that that builds community. It just is.
2: And there's something about, again, just being honest, saying, you know, I'm so tired, I can hardly watch, I'm going to take a nap. If I'm in a group of 8 people, 3 of the people are going to say, "Oh, that does sound good." <laughs> but they wouldn't have said it if I didn't say my part all out. I just need to understand people really want to be on my team. I literally just have to give them a chance to do that. Mm. So
1: Yeah, other practical things in terms of just becoming a good listener, uh, just the way you verbally and non-verbally carry yourself in a right. conversation can speak volumes. Again, these things actually heal when, right. when we pay attention to one another in this way.
2: They do, because all of our hurtness is about feeling like we're alone. So anytime somebody listens to us, cares for us, connects with us, there's a healing that happens. Every loving interaction is a healing moment, I promise. So I talked a little bit just about being a team, so I want to come back to that just for a second. Right. We got two minutes. We do. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, Let's say me and my wife are going to an event, or me and a friend, or there's a family member who I, who I do feel connected to who's going to be at the event. A lot of times, if I come in with a vision of who I want to be, if there's even one other person in that room who's on that same team with me, who has that same plan, it's super helpful. So, for example, um, my family plays tag quietly. Gwen's family plays tag really loudly. <laughs> so, and we would get sort of pulled into those crazy conversations, and we realized it's bad enough that those guys are doing that. But it's way worse that we're letting it affect our marriage. Like, we get pulled in different directions by that. That's that's bad for us. That, that's not what a godly path looks like. So we just got better at any time we saw people playing tag or getting in a conflict that was just sort of crazy. We would just look at each other and smile like, uh-huh, I saw that. Yeah, I see that? Yep. Like, and just knowing there's somebody else in there that gets it, was also just trying to be loving and sort of taking a step back, watching it, being that loving person, whatever it is we decided we want to do. Just seeing one other person doing that and sort of nodding at each other when we do it is super helpful and really mm. helps you stay the course. And if somebody like is thinking, okay, I want to be, give people more compliments and, um, and you see them give somebody a compliment, I'm going to look at them like, yeah, I'm proud of you. Way to go. That's so good. Like even if there's one other person is on our team in that group, we're so much more likely to be able to stay true to that vision. So oftentimes when people say, I'm going to go home to my family, Glenn, help me see that vision, who I want to be. My first question is, who's going to help you be true to that vision? Because even just having one person on the inside (laughs) is super helpful to us. And even if I just know that there's one person who knows, if I feel like I'm kind of losing it, and I'm going to say, I'm going to go for a walk, Who will say, hey, I'll go with you. Great. Not going to argue, not going to tell me I shouldn't, but they're going to say, hey, you know, that's probably a great idea because we've talked ahead of time and they know when I get to that point, it probably is a great idea. <laughs> hmm. It's super helpful to have at least one ally, not like an ally against everybody, ally on my team about trying to help me stay true to the vision I have about who I want to be. It's nothing against anybody else. It's just about helping me stay true to the course that I want to pick out.
1: Yeah. To enter into that place of relational mutuality where I right. actually care about you and, and your... Right. I I think we can pretend or sometimes we think we're supposed to care about somebody else and we might do the behaviors that are said, Hey, you know, I care about, but it's more patronizing than anything. When you're in the room with somebody who has genuinely developed an ally kind of heart, like you're talking about, that I am actually for you or you are for me. That really just changes the atmosphere completely in the relationship. Yep.
2: Yep. And in that whole family dynamic a lot of times. So it's just helpful to, well, it's like an AA, you know, you got a problem, you call somebody, right? It's like, That relationship will help you stay true to the vision that you have.
1: I love it. Glenn, we have just a couple minutes left here. Why don't we recap where we've been in these four different segments and different strategies about how to handle these upcoming days around the Thanksgiving Day table and into the holiday season all the way to Christmas as well. We talked about stepping back and dispassionately entering into the room more as an observer. Mm -hmm. All right. And then uh, second, we talked about what it means to be in the loving present or the idea uh, of speaking words of gratitude, looking for the 90%. Again, just remind right. us a little bit about what that looks like to come into a room and just have the discipline of saying, man, I actually do like these people. That was very I'm, compelling when you said that today. Right.
2: I, I'm, my wife and I do this all the time, no matter where we're going. we try and be praying before we get there. So it's not a thing you put on when you get there reminding ourselves how much we care about that person, how much we want to be that welcoming force, how much we want to support each other doing that. So we literally walk into that room already being prayed up and ready to be that kind of a person.
1: Super helpful. Yeah, it's super helpful. And we talk about then forgiving people. And and, and, right. and even if that, they're not asking for our forgiveness, at the right. very least we can have compassion for their right. own weakness. And that right. can really take some of the starch out of the out problems of the, exactly. problems the conversation. It right.
2: takes all my, how could you have been so hurtful to me out of it? More like, oh, I get it. You really do struggle with that. And, I can, and that's actually, remember I said, anytime there's a loving connection, there's healing. So if I look at that person with love and think, oh, I get how hard that is for you. See, there's a healing that happens there in both directions.
1: Yeah, I love it. And of course, that can take us into the last part about rebuilding these relationships, becoming a team. Together, And I think a lot of people have experienced the fractures of families, of right. friendships along the way. And so this really is the goal. And I know that you have given the listeners great um, access to you. And so maybe just remind our listeners where they can go if they do want to have a consultation with you and what they can expect over those 20 minutes. Oh, sure.
2: So just go to my website, drglennpickering.com. And right on the front page there, there's a little thing that says I want a free 20-minute consultation. You just click on that and give me your, just ask for your email address, and he's going to email you back. With Sometimes I can meet with you, and we will talk about whatever you want to talk about for 20 minutes. So if there's a topic that got stirred up in here, and you feel like, well, I don't really feel like I want to go to counseling, but I do wish I could talk to Glenn about that in more detail. That's great. Some people also use it the other way, like, well, I want, I want to see a counselor, but I still want to talk to you for 20 minutes just to see if that's a good fit for me before we make that decision. That's great, too. I mean, people get to use it however they want.
1: Yeah, I love it. Well, Glenn, thanks for your faithfulness to oh, yeah. the program, for all the relational advice that you give, for, for having your own song on the show as I well. We right. learned about that. And just I'll let's say I'll one more time, if you want to go to drglennpickering.com, you can access a lot of the recap of what we talked about here in the show today. You can also connect with Glenn directly on that. And that does wrap up our show here for this Monday on the 22nd of November. Delighted to be with all of you today. I hope you have a great rest of the evening. Bill will be back in the saddle tomorrow. I'll be joining him for a segment. Where we'll talk through some different scriptural passages, as well as some things that we've been learning together. But until then, remember that you are not just a citizen of this country. You are a citizen of the eternal heavenly kingdom. And that's where we take our cues, that's where we get our language of love for one another as we're ambassadors in the world around us. Have a great night, everybody. <music>